Chapter Twenty Three of The Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Twenty Three. The Boy's Love. Endearing, endearing, why so endearing are those soft shining eyes through their silk fringe peering? They love thee, they love thee, deeply, sincerely, and more than aught else on earth, thou lovest them dearly, Motherwell. While these dark conspiracies were hatching elsewhere, all was comfort, peace, and love in the doctor's quiet dwelling. Under Mara Rock's administration, the business of the household went on with the regularity of clockwork. Everyone felt the advantage of this improved condition. The doctor often declared that for his part, he could not for the life of him think how they had ever been able to get along without Mrs. Rock and Travers. Clara affirmed that however the past might have been, the mother and son were a present and future necessity to the doctor's comfort and happiness. The little woman herself gained rapidly both health and spirits and good looks. Under favorable circumstances, Mara Rock, even at thirty-six, would have been esteemed a first-rate beauty, and even now she was pretty, graceful, and attractive to a degree that she herself was far from suspecting. Traverse advanced rapidly in his studies, to the ardent pursuit of which he was urged by every generous motive that could fire a human bosom, affection for his mother, whose condition he was anxious to elevate, gratitude to his patron, whose great kindness he wished to justify, and admiration for Clara, whose esteem he was ambitious to secure. He attended his patron in all his professional visits, for the doctor said that actual experimental knowledge formed the most important part of a young medical student's education. The mornings were usually passed in reading, in the library, the middle of the day in attending the doctor on his professional visits, and the evenings were passed in the drawing-room with the doctor, Clara, and Mrs. Rock. And if the morning's occupation was the most earnest and the days the most active, the evening's relaxation with Clara and music and poetry was certainly the most delightful. In the midst of all this peace and prosperity, a malady was creeping upon the boy's heart and brain that, in his simplicity and inexperience, he could neither understand nor conquer. Why was it that these evening fireside meetings with the doctor's lovely daughter, once such unalloyed delight, were now only a keenly pleasing pain? Why did his face burn, and his heart beat, and his voice falter when obliged to speak to her? Why could he no longer talk of her to his mother, or write of her to his friend, Herbert Grayson? Above all, why had his favorite daydream of having his dear friends, Herbert and Clara married together, grown so abhorrent as to sicken his very soul? Travers himself could not have answered these questions. In his ignorance of life he did not know that all his strong, ardent, earnest nature was tending toward the maiden by a power of attraction, seated in the deepest principles of being and of destiny. Clara, in her simplicity, did not suspect the truth, but tried in every innocent way to enliven the silent boy, and said that he worked too hard, and begged her father not to let him study too much whereupon the doctor would laugh and bid her not be uneasy about Travers, that the boy was all right and would do very well. Evidently the doctor, with all his knowledge of human nature, did not perceive that his protégé was in process of forming an unadvisable attachment to his daughter and heiress. Mrs. Rock, with her woman's tact and mother's forethought, saw all. She saw that in the honest heart of her poor boy, unconsciously there was growing up a strong, ardent, earnest passion for the lovely girl with whom he was thrown in such close, intimate, daily association, and who was certainly not indifferent in her feelings toward him, but whom he might never, never hope to possess. She saw this daily growing, and trembled for the peace of both. 
She wondered at the blindness of the doctor, who did not perceive what was so plain to her own vision. Daily she looked to see the eyes of the doctor open, and some action taken upon the circumstances. But they did not open to the evil ahead, for the boy and girl. For morning after morning their hands would be together, tying up the same vines, or clearing out the same flower-bed. Day after day, at the doctor's orders, Traverse attended Clara on her rides. Night after night their blushing faces would be bent over the same sketch-book, chessboard, or music-sheet. "'Oh, if the doctor cannot and will not see, what shall I do? What ought I do?' said the conscientious little woman to herself, dreading above all things, and equally for her son and the doctor's daughter, the evils of an unhappy attachment, which she, with her peculiar temperament and experiences, believed to be the worst of sorrows, a misfortune never to be conquered or outlived. Yes, it is even better that we should leave the house than that Travers should become hopelessly attached to Clara.' or, worse than all, that he should repay the doctor's great bounty by winning the heart of his only daughter, said Mara Rock to herself. And so, screwing her courage to the sticking-place, she took an opportunity one morning early while Travers and Clara were out riding, to go into the study and to speak to the doctor. As usual, he looked up with a smile to welcome her as she entered, but her downcast eyes and serious face made him uneasy, and he hastened to inquire if she was not well, or if anything had happened to make her anxious, and at the same time he placed a chair and made her sit in it. "'Yes, I am troubled, doctor, about a subject that I scarcely know how to break to you,' she said, in some considerable embarrassment. "'Mrs. Rock, you know I am your friend, anxious to serve you. Trust in me, and speak out.' "'Well, sir,' said Mara, beginning to roll up the corner of her apron, in embarrassment." I should not presume to interfere, but you do not see. Gentlemen, perhaps, seldom do until it is too late. She paused, and the good doctor turned his head about, listening first with one ear and then with the other, as if he thought by attentive hearing he might come to understand her incomprehensible words. Miss Clara has the misfortune to be without a mother, or an aunt, or any lady relative. Oh, yes, I know it, my dear madam, but then I am sure you conscientiously try to fill the place of a matronly friend and adviser to my daughter, said the doctor, striving after light. Yes, sir, and it is in view of my duties in this relation that I say, I and Traverse ought to go away. You and Traverse go away? My good little woman, you ought to be more cautious how you shock a man at my time of life. Fifty is a very apoplectic age to a full-blooded man, Mrs. Rock. But now that I've got over the shock— "'Tell me why you fancy that you and Travers ought to go away.' "'Sir, my son is a well-meaning boy.' "'A high-spirited, noble-hearted lad,' put in the doctor. "'I have never seen a better.' "'But granting all that to be what I hope and believe it is, true, "'still, Travers Rock is not a proper or desirable daily associate for Miss Day.' "'Why?' curtly inquired the doctor. "'If Miss Clara's mother were living, sir, she would probably tell you that young ladies should never associate with any except their equals of the opposite sex,' said Mara Rock. "'Clara's dear mother, were she on earth, would understand and sympathize with me, and esteem your traverse as I do, Mrs. Rock,' said the doctor, with moist eyes and a tremulous voice. "'But, oh, sir, exceeding kind as you are to Travers, I dare not in duty look on and see things going the way in which they are, and not speak and ask your consent to withdraw Travers.' "'My good little friend,' said the doctor, rising and looking benignantly upon Mara, "'my good little woman, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Suppose you and I trust a little in divine providence, and mind your own business.' 
"'But, sir, it seems to me a part of our business to watch over the young and inexperienced, that they fall into no snare, and also to treat them with a little wholesome neglect, that our over-officiousness may plunge them into none. "'I wish you would comprehend me, sir. I do, and applaud your motives, but give yourself no further trouble. Leave the young people to their own honest hearts and to providence. Clara, with all her softness, is a sensible girl, and as for Travers, if he is one to break his heart from an unhappy attachment—' "'I have been mistaken in the lad. That is all,' said the doctor heartily. Mrs. Rock sighed, and saying, "'I deemed it my duty to speak to you, sir, and having done so, I have no more to say,' she slightly curtsied and withdrew. "'He does not see. His great benevolence blinds him. In his wish to serve us he exposes Travers to the most dreadful misfortune, the misfortune of becoming hopelessly attached to one far above him in station.' "'whom he can never expect to possess,' said Mara Rock to herself, as she retired from the room. "'I must speak to Travers himself, and warn him against this snare,' she said, as she afterward ruminated over the subject. And accordingly that evening, when she had retired to her chamber, and heard Travers enter the little adjoining room where he slept, she called him in, and gave him a seat, saying that she must have some serious conversation with him. The boy looked uneasy, but took to the offered chair, and waited for his mother to speak. Travers, she said, a change has come over you recently that may escape all other eyes but those of your mother. She, Travers, cannot be blind to anything that seriously affects her boy's happiness. Mother, I scarcely know what you mean, said the youth in embarrassment. Travers, you are beginning to think too much of Miss Day. Oh, mother, exclaimed the boy, while a violent blush overspread and empurpled his face. Then, in a little while, and in faltering tones, he inquired, "'Have I betrayed in any way that I do? "'To no one but to me, Travers, "'to me, whose anxiety for your happiness makes me watchful. "'And now, dear boy, you must listen to me. "'I know it is very sweet to you "'to sit in a dark corner and gaze on Clara "'when no one, not even herself, witnesses your joy, "'and to lie awake and think and dream of her "'when no eye but that of God looks down upon your heart, "'and to build castles in the air for her and for you. "'All this I know is very sweet. "'But, Travers, it is a sweet poison.' "'fatal if indulged in, fatal to your peace and integrity.' "'Oh, my mother! Oh, my mother! What are you telling me?' exclaimed Travers bitterly. "'Unpalatable truths, dear boy, but necessary antidotes to that sweet poison of which you have already tasted too much. "'What would you have me do, my mother? "'Guard your acts and words, and even thoughts. "'Forbear to look at, or speak to, or think of Clara, except when it is unavoidable. "'Or, if you do, regard her as she is.' one so far beyond your sphere as to be forever unattainable. Oh, mother, I never once dreamed of such presumption as to think of—of— of... The youth paused, and a deep blush again overspread his face. I know you have not indulged presumptuous thoughts as yet, my boy, and it is to warn you against them, while yet your heart is in some measure within your own keeping, that I speak to you. Indulge your imagination in no more sweet reveries about Miss Day, for the end thereof will be bitter humiliation and disappointment. Remember also that in so doing you would indulge a sort of treachery against your patron, who in his great faith in your integrity has received you in the bosom of his family, and admitted you to an almost brotherly intimacy with his daughter. Honor his trust in you, and treat his daughter with the distant respect due to a princess. I will, mother. It will be hard, but I will. Oh, an hour ago I did not dream how miserable I should be now, said Travers, in a choking voice. "'because I have pointed out to you the gulf toward which you were walking blindfolded?' "'I know it, I know it now, mother,' said Travers, as he arose and pressed his mother's hand, and hurried to his own room. 
The poor youth did his best to follow out the line of conduct prescribed for him by his mother. He devoted himself to his studies, and to the active service of his patron. He avoided Clara as much as possible, and, when obliged to be in her company, treated her with the most respectful reserve. Clara saw and wondered at his change of manner, and began to cast about in her own mind for the probable cause of his conduct. "'I am the young mistress of the house,' said Clara to herself, "'and I know I owe to every inmate of it consideration and courtesy. Perhaps I may have been unconsciously lacking in these towards Travers, whose situation would naturally render him very sensitive to neglect. I must endeavour to convince him that none was intended.' And so resolving, Clara redoubled all her efforts to make Travers, as well as the others, happy and comfortable. But happiness and comfort seemed for the time to have departed from the youth. He saw her generous efforts to cheer him, and while adoring her amiability, grew still more reserved. This pained the gentle girl, who, taking herself seriously to task, said, "'Oh, I must have deeply wounded his feelings in some unconscious way, and if so, how very cruel and thoughtless of me!' How could I have done it? I cannot imagine. But I know I shall not allow him to continue unhappy if I can prevent it. I will speak to him about it. And then, in the candor, innocence, and humility of her soul, she followed him to the window, where he stood in a moody silence, and said pleasantly, Travers, we do not seem to be so good friends as formerly. If I have done anything to offend you, I know that you will believe me when I say that it was quite unintentional on my part, and that I am very sorry for it, and hope you will forget it. You, you, Miss Day, you say anything to displease anybody? Any one become displeased with you? exclaimed the youth, in a tremulous enthusiasm, that shook his voice and suffused his cheeks. Then if you are not displeased, Travers, what is the matter? And why do you call me Miss Day, instead of Clara? Miss Day, because it is right that I should. You are a young lady, the only daughter and heiress of Dr. Day of Willow Heights, while I am. His friend, said Clara. The son of his housekeeper, said Travers, walking away. Clara looked after him in dismay for a moment, and then sat down and bent thoughtfully over her needlework. From that day Travers grew more deeply in love and more reserved than before. How could it be otherwise, domesticated as he was, with this lovely girl, and becoming daily more sensible of her beauty, goodness, and intelligence? Yet he struggled against his inevitable attachment, as a great treachery. Meantime he made rapid progress in his medical studies. It was while affairs were in this state, that one morning the doctor entered the study, holding the morning paper in his hand. Seating himself in his leathern armchair at the table, he said— I see, my dear Travers, that a full course of lectures is to be commenced at the medical college in Washington, and I think you are sufficiently far advanced in your studies to attend them with great advantage. What say you? Oh, sir, said Travers, upon whom the proposition had burst quite unexpectedly, I should indeed be delighted to go if that were possible. There is no if about it, my boy. If you wish to go, you shall do so. I have made up my mind to give you a professional education, and shall not stop half-way. "'Oh, sir, the obligation, the overwhelming obligation you lay upon me!' "'Nonsense, Travers. It is only a capital investment of funds. If I were a usurer, I could not put out money to a better advantage. You will repay me by and by with compound interest. So just consider all that I may be able to do for you as a loan to be repaid when you shall have achieved success. I am afraid, sir, that the time will never—' "'No, you are not,' interrupted the doctor. "'And so don't let modesty run into hypocrisy.' Now put up your books, and go and tell your good little mother to get your clothes all ready for you to go to Washington, for you shall start by the next coach. 
Much surprise was created in the little household by the news that Traverse was going immediately to Washington to attend the medical lectures. There were but two days to prepare his wardrobe for the journey. Mrs. Rock went cheerfully to work. Clara lent her willing and skillful aid, and at the end of the second day, his clothes, in perfect order, were all neatly packed in his trunk. And on the morning of the third day, Traverse took leave of his mother and Clara, and for the first time left home to go into the great world. Dr. Day accompanied him in the old green gig as far as Staunton, where he took the stage. As soon as they had left the house, Mara Rock went away to her own room to drop a few natural tears over this first parting with her son. Very lonely and desolate the mother felt as she stood weeping by the window, and straining her eyes to catch a distant view of the old green gig that had already rolled out of sight. While she stood thus in her loneliness and desolation, the door silently opened, a footstep softly crossed the floor, a pair of arms was put around her neck, and Clara Day dropped her head upon the mother's bosom and wept softly. Mara Rock pressed that beautiful form to her breast, and felt with dismay that the doctor's sweet daughter already returned her boy's silent love. End of chapter 23